Thanks for tuning in to Seven Figure Fitness Business. Today, we're going to be starting a bit of a series that we're going to return to every so often, and it's what we're currently struggling with in our own businesses. Now, the topic of discussion today is going to be staffing. And Iggy, I know we've all worked with a lot of different staff over the years, but I know you've got some great stories about some good times, but also some challenging situations with staff. So do you want to kick things off? Yeah, I think with the issue with staffing, when you start growing any kind of organization, staffing and your team really become the most important aspect that will make or break the success that you've built up to this point. And you're essentially transitioning the success being dependent on you to being dependent on how well your team performs. And that's good. And that's pretty scary when you make that transition because you can go all in and bet on a specific team member and it works out, or you can go all in, all in and bet on the wrong person and it can fall. Shit's going to hit the fan and you can it can go south really, really quickly. So one of the best examples that I have that I personally experienced was a few years ago when I was doing some leadership development. We're looking to raise some leaders, get some people into a key leadership position inside an organization that I was running. So we're looking for like people who are going to be like general managers and people who are going to serve as like directors. Now, some people interview really, really well. Right. And that's where that's the scary part about it is when people interview really, really well and you hire based on that instinct and then you start seeing how they actually perform in the field, you quickly start to realize this is not a good fit. So I had connected this interview with this guy, young guy, super full of energy, very charismatic, and essentially was just an excellent communicator. Right. So it was me and my mentor who were hosting this interview. And I was like, man, I'm ready to go. Like, this guy is awesome. And I, cause probably because I saw a lot of myself in him. And my mentor was like, he pulled me aside and he's like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> but ultimately let me left me to, to make the decision to hire the person. So essentially go about hiring the person. And very quickly, I would say within the first four weeks, we started to see a disconnect between what he said in the interview and how he was actually behaving with the other team and how he's actually performing. So what he was saying in the interview, all these different things being organized, being driven, being ambitious, all these different things, coachable. And so my mentor was telling me, like, I've seen his type before, and I'm just going to let you deal with the mistakes of having to work with that person. So after week week one in, come in super hot. He was doing everything on time, re- asking me, hey, is there anything else that you need me to do? I was like, I was like, bro, like, this guy is awesome. I don't know what you were talking about. Week two comes. And I started to inspect some of the things that I was asking him to do. So I'd reach out to one of our clients that he was supposed to have a meeting with. And then the client would be like, oh, so he showed up like 30 minutes late. He was really, he, he just seemed super disinterested. He gave me like X, Y, and Z. When I asked for basic information that you guys were supposed to have prepared, he didn't have those information and told me that he'd get it to me later. So that put us a week behind. I was like, hold up. So I reached out to the next person he had a meeting with to follow up on a project that he was supposed to have turned in. And it was pretty much the same thing, right? So now we're at a situation where we're getting all this blowback from people having their projects being behind and not having things done on time. And essentially what started to happen was people were expecting a certain level of service from us and expecting me, if I say this is going to happen, 
it's going to happen. Now, all of a sudden, if I say this is going to happen, I'm expecting somebody on the team to make it happen. And I go and inspect it and it wasn't happening the way that it was supposed to. So what we ended up having to deal with, because we didn't have any other option, I tried to coach a guy into performing at the level that it needed to, but it became very evident that he wasn't a good fit. And the fact that he wasn't a good fit showed in the way that he really communicated and showed in the way that how he took responsibility and even showed in the way in the, in the kind of work that he turned into the clients who were the end users. And so for, for me, I'm seeing, we're kind of starting to experience something similar as we have an awesome team, right? We've started to develop a very great culture of people who come in, they're excited, they're bought into the vision, they love the culture that we have. But now we're starting to see if we bring somebody in and they're not a cultural fit, they start to stick out like a sore thumb and a good indicator of whether or not the person that you brought in is a good cultural fit is the fact that how, what are people's response to them? With this other organization, I was used to getting a certain level of feedback from our clients, loving the service that we're providing for them. With this guy that was dealing with the clients, every person that he was dealing with, there was some great feedback, but it was so inconsistent. And it was starting to mess up with like what people were expecting to come from us. And it was actually starting to affect our reputation. You think that someone like, you know, this guy, is he someone that can be trained to improve? Is it about providing him with more accountability? Or is it something deeper inside that he just doesn't have it for your organization or, you know, any role? It would have been something that could be trained if he had the attitude to take responsibility. And this is where it came very evident. I would bring it up to him and he would have an excuse. And you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. Right now, if he would, if I brought it up to him and he was like, you know what, you're right. I totally take responsibility. What can I do differently? And really makes an effort. That wasn't the case. Every time I tried to bring it up, it was an excuse. It was defensive and it was very difficult to, very difficult to teach. He's what I call like, you know, a typical B, maybe even a C player or a D player. And because of that, he's always going to be average. And what we found in our organization is when you have someone who's not pulling their weight, they actually pull down all the A players and the A-plus players because there's this perceived fairness. It's things aren't fair that this person is doing no work. So people question that. And did you find that that had an impact on in your organization with other people as well? Oh, I mean, I, my number two guy was absolutely livid. His name is actually Jake. Very, very frustrated with the fact that he was trying to, he had to essentially clean up after our guy, let's call him Eddie, he essentially had to clean up after Eddie to make up for all the things that all the areas he was falling short. So now he had to do more work and he got to start to get really, really frustrated and get annoyed at the fact that most of his time was spent not only doing his job, but now having to do the work of two people. And that's what oftentimes somebody who's not a good fit creates. They create more work for the people who are going above and beyond to perform for the organization. That's exactly like, what he was experiencing. I feel like when you kind of look at some of the employees, and these are generalist kind of gradings here, but we often talk about, gee, we've done for a long time, you know, um, A players, A plus players, B players, C players. And I think like part of what Im- impacts that is not just their ability and their impact as an individual, but it's their ability to impact the team. So for me, one of the biggest differentiators between what I consider to be an A player and A plus player is that an A player is great and they do their job. But an A-plus player, they have the ability to positively influence the rest of the team. Whereas a C player or a B player, a B player, they might do their job on a mediocre level. It's okay. It's acceptable. 
and a C player, they, they start pulling people down around them. So yeah. I guess like a really interesting question, guys, is when it comes to hiring, this is so important. What are the traits that you actually look for? And then also probably even more important, what are some of the traits that you look to avoid? So I'm going to start with you, G. Let's go with the with the worst ones first. What are some of the traits that you avoid like the plague when it comes to hiring? You want people to be able to follow through on direction, follow through on their actions and, you know, effectively whether they're being employed for um, implementation or whether they're being employed for ideas or whether they're being employed, you know, just to get the, you know, the really simple day-to-day stuff done as well. Every single person you hire is going to need different qualities. The same way as like entrepreneurs, we're all, you know, we've all got totally different talents. But for me, like you're just looking for someone effectively, you want someone who's hardworking and you want to avoid people who are going to pass the buck. They're not going to complete the work. Um, you want to avoid people who aren't team players. You want someone who is going to fight for the organization, fight to, you know, improve the culture of the business and have a shared vision with you as the business owner to help you grow the business. Because at the end of the day, the reason why we hire people, particularly, you know, if you're on your first or second employee, is to replace yourself. And you need someone who's going to be able to, you know, provide you with a better replacement than yourself. If you start going and looking for someone who can't fulfill your role or does a worse job than you, what do you think is going to happen to the rest of your business? It's going to go downhill. Yeah, Yeah. I think definitely when you're looking for good quality employees, it's far better to find someone with the right personality and uh, and sort of ethical characteristics rather than someone who's potentially trained in the skills of that area who doesn't have those, you know, personality traits or ethics. And, you know, um, I guess when I'm looking for a salesperson, for example, I'm looking for someone who's intelligent, emotionally intelligent, autonomous, independent, disciplined, goal-driven. They want to be a team player. And what I'm looking to avoid is someone that is, you know, nervous, unconfident, needs to be micromanaged, you know, someone who is all talk and no action. They're the sort of things we're looking for. And, you know, we have hired people in sales before that are mind-blowingly good. And we've also hired people before who talked a big game on the interview and then never really delivered. In fact, they they sort of under-delivered at every step of the way and fought us and fought coaching and fought feedback. And, you know, part of this is you need someone who is willing and able to accept feedback and improve. Yeah, I think the hard thing about that is that with the current environment, people are learning to be such good interviewers, right? They're learning to be such good interviewers. So almost, I almost don't trust how the person interviews anymore. I'm going to meticulously inspect what they're doing over the first 30 days because that's going to give me a, a true read of whether or not this person is the person that, that I interviewed. Right. And so we've had people who we brought onto the team recently that may have not necessarily interviewed the best because they were a little bit more shy, a little bit more timid. But when they start working, they're awesome. They're like true A players that almost presented as like B players. And then we've had people who come, who interview really well, interview, talk like A players, maybe even talk like A plus players. And after they've been working, we quickly realize this is probably like a C, maybe even a D mm-hmm. <laughs> player. So I say, like, pay close attention to what they're saying in the, during the interview process and then pay even closer attention to how they behave and their action post the interview process and make sure those two things are in alignment. 
And I try to make that decision on whether or not it's in alignment or out of alignment within the first two to three weeks of hiring that person, because that's going to be a much better indicator of how they're going to be as a, as a team member, as an employee long-term. Yeah. You look for people that impressed you as well in that interviewing stage. So our, my favorite ever uh, hiring that I've ever done was for one of our team members called Angus. Now, Angus actually booked himself in for a business sales call with me, right? I started the call. Hey, buddy, what's going on? You know, and then he goes, oh, hey, mate, I'm just letting you know up front. I'm not here to buy today. I'm here to sell. <laughs> I said, okay. I took a step back and I was already sort of smiling, thinking this cheeky bastard kind of thing. Anyway, he basically just said, look, I'm not here to buy your program. I'm here to sell myself. I want to get a job selling for you. You know, and immediately I was like, okay, well, this is a great start because he's really sort of intrigued me. What kind of person has the confidence and the balls to go to this kind of level? And so <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting back in my chair just thinking, okay, let's have it. And he just really impressed me. And as it turns out, you know, no surprise, he's turned out to be an amazing member on our sales team. He's very, very good at his job. Whereas if we go the opposite of that, I get on a call with someone who's like, I think I'd be great because I've done one of these sales courses that goes for three months and I'm a, I'm a high ticket closer. And those are people of words. And he was a person of action. He actually had the, you know, the cojones to get on a call acting as though I was there to sell him and he flipped it on me in two seconds. And there's a level of, you have to ascertain on these calls the difference between confidence and overconfidence. And part of the way that that is done by is really by using sales questions as well. So ask them questions that make them explain themselves. Something as simple as, why do you think you deserve to have this job? You know, what have you been coming from? And why is that? Why are you thinking of leaving your current employment? You know, all those kind of questions where you really put them in a tight spot and they have to give you like answers that actually make sense. That's part of the way that I've always loved to do my hiring for sales. Do you guys have any specifics in the way that you actually try to hire? For me, I like to, especially if, if I'm going to be hiring somebody for to, to deal with customer service and deal with the clients, I want someone who has a genuine love for people and has a similar moral compass as me. You know, So I want to ask them, you know, why do they want this position, you know, what about it excites them? What is their vision? What are they looking to get out of this long term? And how does it fit into their overall bigger picture goals? And ask them different situational questions about their past experience. But what I'm looking for when they're talking about people in their life or their desire to work in this position, I want to see if they're like really passionate about the opportunity to actually work hands on with people, because that's what really matters as far as like, the back end and actually delivering service in the service-based businesses. You got to have somebody that actually cares <laughs> about other people. It's, it's hard to find people who care a lot of the time. And, you know, like there's a, there's a policy that, you know, I think that is really wise to live by. We don't always do this, but it's a concept of hire slow and fire fast. Yeah. And we want to make sure that, hey, we get the right person because at the end of the day, once you start moving up the chain with your business, I mean, like any hire, Hiring is probably the most important thing that you can do for your business. You're effectively picking the person who is going to replace you and help you grow your business. And when you're looking for that person, it's like, is this person, like when you're looking at the hire, you know, the first hire, something that you're going to make, it's like, is this person going to be able to grow this business for me? And if the answer is that they're not going to grow it, then, you know, you kind of automatically settle for someone who's a B. But if you can go away, that person can do their job, implement, introduce something new, 
and the business becomes bigger and better because of the decisions they've made, you're really you're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's the hard part about once you get to that scale, hiring becomes one of the highest leverage tasks that can be done in your business. Mm. Right. Unless you want to continue to operate at the level that you are and you're okay wearing all the different hats and just maintaining full control over the business. Right. When you start to hire, my mentor used to say, you got to let go of the illusion of control because <laughs> you start to grow your team. Like you no longer have that level of control that you do. But that letting go of that illusion also gives comes with a ton of upside. Now you can bring people on if it's done right, who are able to do a specific task better than you ever could have, because that's all they're focusing on. You get to create this team of everyone who are highly specialized in their individual roles, equating to a business that's performing way better than it could have if you were if you were doing everything yourself. But the challenge is making sure you get the right people on the bus. And that's what it really boils down to is like finding the right people and getting them on the bus and then quickly kicking the wrong people off the bus, yeah. which we need to do a better job of. <laughs> you know, one, 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 one observation would be transactional employees are usually not ideal in any way because they're people who just turn up for a paycheck, they do a job and they get a payment. And, you know, that sounds fair and reasonable, but I think that's really the definition of a CRB player. What you really should be looking for is an impactor. Someone who comes yeah. into the role and they can do that role where they're not necessarily just looking to do the bare minimum. They're actually looking to, when when they've actually become skilled enough, they're potentially looking to provide improvement and, and you know, creatively. They don't necessarily have to change things, but they have to be not just, you know, letting you know about problems, but actually having potential solutions. And we've often talked before as well, many times about this sort of golden handcuff idea, which is that. When you bring people in, what you're really trying to do is find people who want to come for the journey, right? We always try and hire. I mean, the three of us, I know this. We always try and bring people along on the ride that we're planning on going on in business and life, et cetera. And if you find someone that is willing to get on the bus, as you said, Iggy, it makes for a really great relationship. And then all you need to do is set a fine line between liking each other and having respect and then not becoming so friendly that you can't actually also enforce discipline along the way as well part of this is you also you know you want to bring people along um, for the ride with you you want to find the highest quality people and part of this is as a business owner you've got to give them the conditions so that they can actually thrive as well because you know you, you mentioned it before but a lot of the time you bring someone on and then it's you still want control right you want control of the business and you're not letting go You've got to be able to allow them and, you know, allow them to be creative, allow them to make decisions. And, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I've definitely learned because just like you, I used to hold too much control and I wasn't willing to outsource the tasks because I didn't trust people. But part of the trick is you've got to find people that you trust and then it's very, very easy to do. Yes. Yeah. Even with the hiring process in the story that I mentioned earlier, I technically... My mentor, like the person who was overseeing the entire organization, could have overridden my decision to hire the person. He saw the train wreck coming <laughs> and he went along for the ride, knowing that this could turn out bad, which is still kind of crazy to me when I look back at it. Like he could have easily asserted his authority and be like, no, we're not going to hire that guy. <laughs> but he, just, he let me make that mistake so I can learn from it. But that's like, the balancing act you got to make and understand like you're going to make mistakes and your teammates are going to make mistakes. Your employees are going to make mistakes, but it's your willingness to like 
work through those mistakes, learn from them, and then make the tough decisions to let people go if you realize they're not a good fit. That's really one of the biggest challenges that I think a lot of people struggle with is when they realize something, somebody's not a good fit because they're afraid to let them go and they're afraid to have that conversation and a conflict avoiders. Now they're stuck dealing with this problem and with this cancer just starts to affect the entire organization and slowly starts to kill it from the inside out. It's really tough, Iggy, when you've got a good person who's a bad employee and you have to make a decision to let them go, knowing sometimes that they are you know, not necessarily in a good financial situation. I know, G, you're smiling because we've definitely been poor with this over the years and it's something that we're constantly improving on. <clears throat> How do you go, Iggy, when you do determine that someone isn't a good fit, what's your process for actually taking them to the point of dismissal? How do you actually go about that? I follow the kind of process that my mentor used to say. is like, you got to have the conversation. So you got to dive in head first yeah. and then just look for an exit. <laughs> Right. So one, the way that I dive in, if I know I'm going to let somebody go, especially if I, the the hardest people to let go are those that you genuinely like, like you really like the person and you may be, if it wasn't for the work, you'd probably be great friends with this person. You'd be somebody that you go out and have a beer with, but you got to be able to separate the emotions from this situation. So for me, I disconnect myself from him. Like, you know what? He's a great person. I really like the person we could be, if it wasn't for this, we'd be best friends and we can enjoy a ton of beer. I check that off and I'm like, put it aside. Now let's look at the actual situation objectively. This is how he's performing. This is how it's affecting the team. And this may be a situation where it's not in his best interest to even keep him here because he's not at that level and continuing to keep him in this situation isn't going to give him the kind of development that he needs, right? It's like trying to fit a square peg into a, into a circle. It's not going to work. And maybe it's because he's not performing at the level because it's just not a good fit for him. So I try to approach it from that standpoint. When I look at it in that way, I'm like, you know what? The fact that he's still here is actually hurting him and hurting us in the, in the business even more than it would hurt me to let him go. I think firing someone is, is it's, it's really always a logical decision, but we have a really bad habit of making it an emotional one. And if we were able to effectively step back and make it a logical decision, there really wouldn't be any difficulties. And, you know, obviously it's always easier firing an asshole than it is to fire a nice person, you know, especially if they're like got family relying on them and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, ultimately it's about stepping back and realizing that employment is essentially an agreement where both parties have to do their part. And if they stop doing theirs, then really that your part, which is to give them a stable job and income, that really should disappear as well. That's probably costing you a lot of money. And you've got to also, you know, you've got to, to make it more logical, think about the bank. It's like, is your relationship or friendship with a person in your business worth 200 grand to you? And when you actually start thinking about it like that, all of a sudden you're like, you know, maybe, maybe it's not, maybe I prefer an extra 100 grand in my bank account. Well, it's not just the financial cost of having that employee. It's actually the opportunity cost of what they're wasting. I mean, gee, one of our notorious uh, hires, I guess, was incredibly expensive in, in sales because it wasn't just the fact that they were costing us wages. It was the amount of calls that they were burning and then complete and utter disregard of any sort of authority that we possessed uh, you know, as employers. So <clears throat> this is the thing. You need to think about the cost of the employee, the cost of how much money you're losing if you had someone in that role actually performing at the level that you're satisfied with as well. Well, when you make that mathematical, it's like, you know, it costs us, let's just say it costs us $150 to get someone on a call. Now, what we're doing is effectively she was converting at 40%, right? 
Now, when you think about that, you could actually get someone who's going to convert at like 60%, 75%. And all of a sudden, you, you know, if you're, they're converting at the 75% range, you're actually making double the amount of money off that same employee with the exact same wage. And I think like one way that we always look at this is, you know, actually get out the, the spreadsheet, the Excel spreadsheet, and have a look and figure out projections as to what would happen if this person's performance improved, particularly with performance-based jobs like sales. So I, I would say what we've done so much better in recent years, and you've ever since I've known you, Iggy, you've done this extremely well, but it's basically to outline very clear expectations from the beginning. And if someone misses those expectations, it's about letting them know quickly and in a way that is very, very clear for them to understand. It doesn't have to be coming down on them like a ton of bricks, but essentially from the very beginning, expectations are set with a disciplinary pathway. And if that person fails to meet their end of the bargain, you communicate with them clearly, quickly, and if necessary, that results in, you know, going through those disciplinary levels um, that result in dismissal. Uh, you know, and I think that was probably all of the problems that we had in the past, G, came down to us not setting clear expectations, getting unhappy, having like airy-fairy meetings, and then, you know, we'd agree on something that wasn't done. And because we didn't set that disciplinary pathway, it became very, very messy. Now, the way that we do things these days is if somebody comes in and they underperform, immediately they get told, get told again, then we start talking about warnings or dismissal. And the system is much, much more powerful. So, yeah, and I think having the clear expectations protect both you and the employee, right? And the business. When those expectations aren't clear, it's hard to exercise any kind of authority and it's hard to make decisions that's going to be in the best interest of the business. And that's really what the expectations are designed for. Yeah. I'm going to finish off with just one more story. Um, when I was a personal trainer, there was a manager at my gym at one point who I was really good friends with and he got promoted and I remember being really friendly with this guy. And one day he just destroyed me, absolutely destroyed me. I can't remember what I did wrong, but I remember at the time being fuming that he'd called me out and he'd sort of put our friendship on the line like that, abused his position and all that sort of stuff. Now, I went away and I thought about it and I realized that he was right. What I was doing, doing was I was abusing our friendship by actually sort of expecting some sort of lenience of him that wasn't actually fair. I was putting his job at risk. And so I went away reflected on it and I was able to change my behavior. And as it turns out, he ended up being my favorite ever manager that I had in that position. But if he had continued to let me get away with it, what he would have been doing was failing to do his job and failing to enforce me to do mine. And I think that's a really powerful thing is that you can take two things away from that. If you're an employee who doesn't like getting feedback, you need to take a good hard look at yourself. And if you're a if you're an employer who doesn't have the ability or the confidence to give hard feedback, you need to do the same thing. You as the business owner, as the employee, as the manager, it's your responsibility for the entire, for the health of the entire company to do your job and to communicate firmly when necessary so that you can have a good culture, a respectful culture, and obviously a very profitable and well-functioning business. Absolutely. Awesome, guys. All right. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.